Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Paul Church. I'm the Managing Director of Interquest. We're a tech data uh, and digital recruitment business. This is our community slash webinar slash podcast, People, Culture and Tech. The idea being we get uh, experts or people with passions in to talk about subjects, which I think will hopefully make, uh, if we take away those um, discussions, hopefully make our businesses just a little bit better. Um, today, we've got David Palliser, and I'll ask David to give us a bit of an intro in a second. To the audience, uh, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Anybody who wishes to ask questions throughout today, uh, please do. I encourage as much audience participation as possible. If you want to just sit there and be quiet, that's fine as well. But if you do want to ask a question, uh, pop your hand up in the in the box and you'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. If you'd rather just put the question itself in the box, the chat box, and I'll ask you if you that's fine as well. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, taking our workforce on a journey of purpose. And I think this is really important now more than ever after the year we've just had. And I, I kind of go back to this point quite a bit in some of our topics in previous webinars as well, that you need uh, emotional investment from your people. They need to feel part of a business, part of a journey. At least that's what I think. Hopefully David's going to clarify that is indeed the case and how to do it. Uh, but that's what that's what I believe. And that's kind of been the, the spawn of this discussion here with David. So David Palliser, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of an intro to yourself, who you are, mm-hmm. what you do, and how you got there. Sure, I'll try try to keep it brief. Um, so I'm the head of people and culture um, for Too Good to Go UK. So Too Good to Go is a is a food waste fighting app. We're the biggest food waste fighting app in the world. We're in 16 countries now, and we're rescuing now two meals every second that would have gone into the bin. For those that don't know, why is food waste something that needs fighting? Uh, well, it's got a massive impact on, on climate change. It uh, represents about 8% of, of global emissions. So it is actually a bigger impact than the entire aviation industry. And it is is actually seen as one of the best ways to actually make direct impact on climate change because it's it's pretty difficult for me to put up a you know a wind farm in my backyard and that sort of thing. But I certainly can you know fight food waste and it does have a huge impact towards you know hopefully at least pausing the climate crisis if if not um, starting to. to it in the right direction. So I joined Too Good To Go in January of last year. Uh, previously, I worked in the kind of uh, tech and digital marketing space for a, uh, a small agency called House of Kaizen. It's now known as Daydot. My background, I guess, it, you know, I sort of fell into HR and, and people and culture and, and these sorts of things. I got no formal training in it. I trained as an actor, one of the top uh, drama schools in the UK. And like many people who go into that sort of business, they've find a way to use their skills and their, their personality traits in a different way. And so I guess my, my kind of communication, emotional intelligence, that sort of thing, put me in good stead for the kind of work I do now. Fantastic. Thanks, David. And how did, how did you end up working with Too Good To Go? Did you kind of set out with a, right, I want to find a good for the world business, or did you just come across me for, wow, that sounds great? Well, how, how did it happen? Uh, right time, right place, and right mind. Set, I guess, was the the the, the thing. Um, I had been with um, my previous business for six and a half years, which is used to not be a long time to stay in one place, but it, it cert- certainly is now, especially in kind of the tech and marketing space. And after that length of time, I was able to take a bit of time off, which was very nice, and actually think about what I wanted to do. And and I guess really what I realized was that I wanted to really care about why a company existed and go work there. You know, there's a phrase I, I, I kind of use, which is like, why do I actually want this organization to succeed through my hard work? And I really enjoyed the previous, you know, organizations I worked for in terms of the team culture and and, and the atmosphere and the environment, but I didn't have a huge connection with what the actual output was. And sustainability was always a, um, a, a real passion for me. And too good to go being 
a tech tech for good uh, area meant that I thought, well, okay, well, that seems to be a good fit for me based on my background. And um, I was very excited about the the social impact where it's a positive impact, but still for profit and the power of business to do good. And so, you know, when I looked into the company, it just so happened they were hiring for my role in the UK. It was, it was a brand new, you know, newly created role based on the, on the growth that they were experiencing and wanting to experience. And so it was, it, it was a bit luck, you know, lucky. I think sometimes when you get to a certain level, you are reliant on the, on those roles opening up at the right time. Uh, and it did for me. And so I was, I was very happy to join, yeah, as I said, back in January last year. Great. So we've got an intro to yourself. So tell us a bit more about Too Good To Go, specifically, I suppose, the mission, the mm-hmm. short, medium, long-term goals. What, what does that look like? Sure. So we, we think vision first. And so the vision is we dream of a planet with no food waste. That's the big, you know, blue sky uh, vision, but it's not very active. You have to kind of put that into sort of like, right, what's, what are the actions? But our mission is pretty darn big and ambitious as well, which is, you know, to inspire and empower everyone to fight food waste together. And that's a very long-term mission. And it's very broad. You know, you'll notice that there's nothing in that mission that describes an app or describes restaurants or stores or anything like that, because I think you, it's about ensuring that you, you know, stay connected to your why. The fact is that we're fighting food waste right now, primarily through our, you know, marketplace app that I that I described, where consumers can rescue food from businesses to stop it from going to waste. The long term goal is to be the number one food waste rescuing solution in the world. That is 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 well and truly the goal. You could argue that we already are because it's not actually a, a crowded space. There are um, plenty of other people doing this work, but I think food waste as a topic is still, unfortunately, a little bit of a niche topic within the overall sustainability conversation. But we want to be number one in terms of presence globally in all continents and making the kind of impact we want to make. Being number one, knowing that we've still got a huge role to um, role to play in, in making a much bigger impact, um, it doesn't mean that we're sort of satisfied with that, that kind of first place right now. So in terms of you know how that gets broken down into sort of midterm and, and, and shorter term, it's two different things, really. It's expanding into new territories. You know, So we, we, we launched in the US last year and we're going live in the, on the West Coast this month, actually, we're, we're launching Canada soon, and there will be some other markets going live later this year as well. But it, it's about ensuring that we keep the, the, the growth in the countries that we're already in as well. So, so the, the way we phrase that is win where we play. We're rescuing a, a lot of food in the UK right now. So for instance, in, in, in May, we rescued almost half a million meals just in April. But in terms of the amount of food that still went in the bin, you know, we're only scratching the surface. And so we need to keep on expanding that reach and working with more and more partners, um, you know, big chains, as well as the, um, you know, the, the locally owned, you know, uh, corner shop. And so we need to, to really expand that reach um, in every country that we're in. Okay, makes sense. And if you take that, I suppose, a bit more internally, what mm-hmm. do it look like in terms of the values of the people? What kind of values do you want the people to have working there? So you've got the, the, the culture that you want to have. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got really tangible company values. We put them on all our all our job descriptions, and they are very active. When we join the company, probably lots of people <laughs> take the individuals through one uh, through the company values. But certainly, our CEO Meta takes everyone through it. She has a meeting every month with every new joiner and, and takes them through the company values as well as the the mission, the vision, our current global strategies. So we've got five values: we fight together, we care, we raise the bar. We keep it simple and we build a legacy. The key word there is we, so it's everyone. Everyone has to um, live these values. And the, the reason that they're genuinely tangible is because we have these behaviors 
that explore how that actually plays out. And we have questions to ask ourselves. And that helps us kind of turn these values into behaviors and, and into actions. And so in that way, the values actually genuinely inform our decision-making. They inform how we work with each other, how we work with our partners, how we work with our customers. And so they're not sort of these uh, fancy words that get you know put up on meeting room walls or get lost in an employee handbook. They are genuinely thought about every day. Yeah, and inform the actions that we actually take each day. And I think that's... A, incredibly powerful way to keep yourself honest, to keep yourself on track, and also to make that culture actually tangible. Thought of this at the beginning, just mentioning how my views that I think priorities have changed for people and we need that investment. So what do you think? So do you, do you think the priorities of the workforce have shifted, I suppose, over the last few years, maybe perhaps more so in the last 14 months? And if so, how? how what mm. have you seen? I think yes, in some industries, but not all industries and not all people. I have a very narrow perspective in that I've, I've worked in kind of tech companies in, in London and then now in a tech for good company in London. So I, I wouldn't want to describe what the priorities are for people who work in manufacturing and that sort of thing because I, I don't know those industries. But I do think there is um, there has been some, some uh, changes, to be honest, even pre-pandemic for people looking for a bit more transparency, a bit more of an honest relationship in a sense that um, from people that they, they, they really want to believe that their company truly cares about them. And I think that that's they're being very demanding in a really great way. And if they get that, what what's amazing is that they then really, really invest in their role. I think certainly the past fourteen months, there's been an incredibly positive positive thing, which is a focus on well-being and mental health awareness. Uh, it's entered into our conversation in a way that it just wasn't before, uh, or if it was, it was there's a few individuals in the company that you can go to to talk to, but it's a bit of a maybe seen as a bit of a taboo thing or or, or, or something to, to be ashamed of. And actually, the, the fact that it is talked about now so openly, um, including by CEOs and that sort of thing, I think is is really positive. And obviously, we'll, we'll see some changes in terms of what people need from flexible working policies and stuff like that as we return to normal. But certainly what I've seen, obviously, yes, with my very narrow perspective is more and more people sort of stating they want purpose in their careers. They want it to actually be about something. And they want to work for organizations whose values align with their own. You know, the experience that all of us have had sitting in our houses, worried about the future is, is also thinking about, well, what is this for? And why do I do what I do? And, you know, especially we've been turning up to work in our own flats, in our own houses, plenty of people trying to teach their kids, you know, get their kids through school at home as well at the same time. And, and when you're working that hard and you don't have as much else in your life to, to focus on. I think people start really thinking about, well, does this actually bring me satisfaction? Does it, does it bring me meaning? And, and so I think that is starting to change for, for some people, but as I said, not for all. I think it's also it's a good interesting point you mentioned as well. And I think uh, I, was, I was alluding to, I suppose, the people in businesses and how their priorities have changed, but actually the priorities of companies have changed because after the last 14 months, you write things like mental health, mental well-being, and also diversity and inclusion whilst they were topics before. Mm. They're much more heightened and spoken about more regularly on a high, at a higher level now. And we're, we're, sp we're speaking about that quite a lot in these webinars. It's, it's mm. an absolutely, absolutely right point. We were talking before we went on the, on the air, as it were, about the, the talent wars it is. And I think, actually, it's probably never been a better time to be a good for the world business. And I think, actually, mm. that's a real way to attract top talent. Do you, do you see that when you're kind of you know, competing against other companies to hire your people in whatever, whatever uh, industry? Or sorry, whatever role... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can't force it down their throats. They have to come to you. 
But what we are seeing is more and more people are coming to us. What, what can be difficult in, in, in these sorts of businesses is even you know, 12 months ago, you know, too good to go in the UK wasn't as well known as it is now. It's still it's not not a household brand for for many people. But the struggle was is that if people haven't heard of you, then they're not visiting your careers page. They're not looking, uh, you know, for, for your jobs on LinkedIn and or whatever, wherever they're uh, looking. And so I think that the brand awareness of your tech for good company is really really important. And so that does a lot of the work for us. To be honest, is is ensuring that the brand is aligned with your values as well and that that you're really kind of putting your money where, where your mouth is so for instance in our marketing it's not just about oh download our app and rescue some food it's we should all be fighting food waste here are some tips to fight food waste at home here's what you can be using broccoli stalks for or cauliflower leaves and these sorts of things and it's actually engaging and make, making people engage with the topic of fighting food waste and it just makes them feel good about this the, the brand of too good to go of saying like actually they're not just trying to get users to download their app they're actually just talking to people and saying hey like fight food waste and if you want to download the app as well, then great. I think that's that's a incredibly important point of this is, is there an authenticity to your brand externally? Because all brand marketing is also employer brand marketing. And so it's, it's important that your talent acquisition or your HR or your people and culture is aligned with marketing in some way, at least to ensure that, you know, the two kind of sides of the organization aren't saying completely different things. So if we're speaking generally, if, if a business is, well, it could, you know, it could be for too good to go as well. If your people are not invest, invested in your business mm-hmm. mission, even if they've got a good salary, conditions are right, what, yeah. what do you see the risks being? I mean, apathy is obviously a big risk of, of that they'll do just enough to get by or they'll do it out of their own career ambition, which, and there's nothing wrong with career ambition. There's plenty of, of career ambition to get to go and plenty of other uh, social impact companies. When that turns into internal competition between individuals and teams, it means that you're just kind of there for yourself and, and uh, you're not actually there for the benefit of the organization. And so therefore you're, you're just trying to climb that ladder and climb over people and, and, it's not great for collaboration and there's a real risk of, of having counter purposes at play uh, with organizations like that, which is incredibly inefficient. And then also, I just think retention becomes a big issue because if they're not heavily invested in the why, then it's not going to take much to distract them with whatever uh, potential other opportunity there is. You know, I mean, I've, I've worked places previously where it was very clear that people were essentially constantly talking to recruiters unless they were maybe in their first six months because they were just always on the lookout for what's that next new thing what's that next salary bump it means that they've kind of always got one eye on on the door as, as you all know like and, and i'm sure everyone listening knows the, the the cost of replacing someone in terms of recruiting in terms of training is absolutely massive so you're just risking them it's so much easier for them to walk away if they're not invested in the why yeah, absolutely. And have, have you seen many examples where people have actually maybe joined your business for less money than maybe they would have been able to get because they believed mm. in being a part of this, this this journey with you? Yeah, absolutely. Our headline, we do pay um, competitive uh, salaries and we, we, we don't ever seek to underpay people. But um, there are people that will deliberately say like, yes, like I could earn this much at a very, very large organization. But what's more important to me is actually you know, really loving what I do and and feeling good about what I do. And I think also what what happens is is we have a slightly better work life balance than a lot of those organisations that pay uh, incredible amounts, and so they actually get some life back as well as enjoying their work. 
so what, what steps have you and your business made to ensure that people feel part of the journey? And these could be big things, they could mm. be the little things, but what things kind of, kind of stand out to you? I think the language you use is, is really important. Um, you know, so for instance, you know, we don't say sales and too good to go. We say meals saved. So we, you know, we had almost half a million meals saved in April, not almost half a million sales. And that, that's incredibly powerful. I think, um, especially if it's really ingrained from the top, that it's not just what you choose to use when you're doing a, a, a team meeting or something. But I think, you know, for us, it's really about linking that commercial success to impact. So when we do celebrate certain milestones or certain, you know, all-time highs uh, and that sort of thing, it's always linked to what is the impact of that? So what's the CO2E that we're measuring that we've saved, you know, and linking that to things like, okay, how many flights around the world is that? equivalent to or you know the annual carbon footprint of a of a Brit or a Dane or an American or something like that. And always linking that back, uh, I think is really is really important for people. Uh, having a culture of recognition and celebration, I think is really important as well. So that you have those shout outs and celebrations and thank yous. It's amazing the power of actually just thanking someone in public um, for the for the work they've done is incredibly powerful. And then I think, you know, making sure that with every role that you've got, you're, you're linking those responsibilities, you're linking those actions to the overall strategy, which is also actively linked to the mission. If you're constantly reinforcing what is the mission, how are we getting there, and here's what your part in it, then they just know that even if that particular day what they're doing is they're answering 200 queries from, from customers, then actually what they are contributing to that impact of the flights around the world that have been saved. But it, it has to be constant. It has to you know, really be ingrained as, as something that you always do. You can't just sort of go, oh, it's been six months since we've mentioned this. It, it actually needs to be really habitual. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's interesting to put about the recognition side. I mean, one thing I find in, in recruitment, of course, you know, it's, it's sales, it's bonuses, it's commissions. But mm. I, I really believe that it's the little things that they, they last. So the recognition and being given a round of applause or being kind of shouted out, you've done a really good job. That feeling you get will last longer than that mm. nice commission check. I really, really think that's so, so important. I think obviously that works in all, in all types of businesses. If your business is not so obviously positive in terms of its social impact, how does a company take them on a journey like Too Good To Go? So when, when I say that, just to break it down, I think with most businesses, you could spin a way to say it's good. You know, we're recruitment, we help get people jobs, but we're a services, we're a sales company, really. So we're not changing a problem in the world, I don't believe, as much as I love my job. Mm -hmm. So how do you, if you're a business like ours or any other, how do you make sure people feel as invested as they would do working for a Too Good To Go? Sure. Well, I mean, hopefully businesses exist because they are a solution to a problem. Uh, and so getting people excited about the problem and the solution, I think, is, is you know pretty powerful. So, for, you know, for instance, Google's company mission is to organize the world's information, make it universally accessible. That's a pretty exciting big challenge, to, you know, to, to get behind. I think that probably motivates people, you know, quite a lot. You know, not every company has a clear cut you know, mission statement like Google's or has a social impact focus. But I, I do hope that the people running the organization care about what they do and care about their industry, i.e. they actually have a point of view. They have an opinion that the way they of how things should be done in their industry. So I think getting excited about the how can be really powerful. So, you know, what does the company actually want to achieve? What does it want to change? You know, how are they making a stamp on, on their industry or the community or, or a product? So, you know, disruptors have done this you know, pretty clearly, you know, Uber, Deliveroo, the new 
a pretty new breakout company, Gorillas, which is groceries in 10 minutes from order to delivery. So I, th- I think that sort of thing is really powerful. And, but it, it does actually need to be authentic. Like the management actually really need to get on board. It can't be like kind of this add-on. It actually needs to be stitched in. As I said, hopefully they have a point of view. They, hopefully they give a shit about their industry and, and, and are passionate about it and say, you know what, I want to make, you know, it, it might be that they... They say, well, I want to make this thing that is not normally hugely affordable. I want to make it affordable for people. Or I want to put customers at the heart of everything we do, because often that's not done in this industry. And so having that kind of almost quality element, obviously every business wants quantity, you want growth, but what is the quality of what we're doing is a really powerful way to shape a company's mission. Then you're caring about not just what you're achieving, but how you're achieving it. And so then you're actually getting people interested in not just the destination, but the journey. Do you think businesses can get as much investment as a business like Too Good To Go in terms of if one that has perhaps less obvious social impact? In all honesty, probably not, if I'm being completely honest, but that's okay. You know, not everyone wants to work for, um, you know, a, a social impact company and not everyone can, you know, depending on your trade, your line of work. But I think you can do it in a different way and you can get bloody close. If people feel like they have a relationship with, with the, the leadership and they feel like that leadership is authentic and there are ideals in that organization and there's ambition, not just on scale, but ambition on how they achieve things, then I think you can get a hell of a lot of buy-in and, and a hell of a lot of investment. Actually, we've got a question now. I'll come back to this. We've got a question that's come through in the direct chat. So mm-hmm. is it better to have smaller goals or one big goal as a business? If it's smaller, are these goals and visions ever evolving? I guess I'd slightly debate the, the, the framing of the question. I don't think it's either or. I think you need a big goal that is so big that it can stay the goal forever, essentially. I think the problem that often happens is the big goal isn't big enough. You know, hence that you know the goal for, for Do Good To Go is a planet with no food waste. Now, there's an argument, if, if you want to look at it logically, that we have set ourselves a goal that we will never, never achieve, but that is still the goal. Uh, same with Google's, so we want to organize the world's information. There is still information that is not on Google, believe it or not, but they're always sort of aiming for, for that you know, perfection. So I think it's, it, it's, it's about ensuring that that goal is so big that it becomes kind of your, your, your North Star rather than, oh, we've kind of achieved that in 24 months. Now we need to scratch our heads and think about what our new goal should be. If your goal is so achievable, then you, you're, not, you're not thinking big enough. Then it's much easier to have small goals that fit within it because they become those building blocks. They become that path on your way to that blue sky goal. I think sometimes it feels like you need to do small goals or big goals because they're conflicting with each other because that big goal just isn't big enough. Thanks for the question there. If anyone else had any other questions, do, do pop it in the chat. I think one good, well, well lots of good things, but I suppose a good thing for the world would be that if businesses aren't so obviously good for the world, it puts pressure on them to still invest money in things which would be good for the world, like putting you know, money into, you know, well, I suppose signing up with Too Good To Go for one thing, if you're a restaurant or whatever, or uh, investing money on you know, being carbon neutral or whatever, or something yeah. like that. So that's probably a good thing. Have you seen much of that happening? The one that comes to mind most recently is Brewdog. You know, Scottish beer maker growing incredibly fast. You know, they're launching a, a carbon positive bar and hotel in Las Vegas. And essentially, you know, they've just decided, you know what, we want to be a carbon positive business. So not even neutral. It's not just about offsetting. It's actually about, you know, being positive. And so they've, they've invested in forests, uh, you know, planting new forests in the highlands. They're ensuring that they're using renewable energy. They're doing all these things. And it's like, well, is there much that that has to do with beer? Not really. 
like they're doing some things to do with beer in terms of you know using food waste and and that sort of stuff to to help you know um, brew their beer and they work with too good to go but actually they've said like actually this is at taking that kind of positive socially responsible action and making it part of their brand and it's coming from the top and so it's actually it's truly authentic where they're saying like we believe in this and they believe that it will be good for business it's not like a, oh now we have to spend money on these initiatives and we're gonna have to spend money on carbon offsetting it, i think a lot of organizations look at that sort of thing and kind of do it begrudgingly uh, as almost like as, as a tick box exercise but they're actually saying we have an opportunity to get real brand loyalty here by being leaders in this and catalysts for change. So I think BrewDog are doing a fantastic job at that. Yeah, it's a really good example. I think I think it's important. I think anything we talk about with culture and values, we always go back to that word authenticity. You need that. Yeah. Otherwise, it kind of, you'll get found out and it, and it won't kind of ring through your company. Same time, if every company out there begrudgingly has to do something good for the world and all kind of out, trying to outdo each other, that's probably not a bad thing either, is it? No, it, it's a good outcome. If, for instance, some organization signed up to Too Good To Go and they're doing it purely for bottom line reasons, then fine. We've built a solution that works for people who aren't motivated by sustainability. That's, that's absolutely fine. I think we do sometimes have to be really wary of greenwashing, where someone's uh, using their actions to kind of make themselves appear more sustainable than they actually are. So we, we really have to you know, uh, be wary of that. And, and, and in fact, recently, the, I saw a report that was showing that the, um, the carbon offsetting that, um, that, that the airline industry has been trying to you know, use um, to kind of offset their emissions, basically the calculations that they've been using are, are really off and the, you know, the offsetting is, is really not, they're not offsetting anywhere near enough. And so you have to look at those sorts of things and go, okay, well, you know, Yes, it's great that people are taking actions, but we need to make sure that it doesn't kind of become a little bit of a smokescreen for what they're truly doing. I don't know how it works these days with the airlines. I used to work for British Airways in a previous life, and when they, they brought in the, yeah, you'd have, as a passenger, you'd have to pay extra to make your flight carbon neutral. Yeah. I thought well, that's not really fair. The companies, they're just making us do it, aren't they? The companies yeah. aren't. The airlines aren't doing it, so it's a bit, a bit naughty, I thought. You said you want to be the kind of number one food waste reducing business in, in, in the world. What, what are the other good for the world businesses that stand out to you in the UK? So one we've talked about before is Oddbox. That's one, one I was uh, yeah. I use myself as well as Too Good To Go. What, what other ones kind of stand out to you? Well, yeah, so there's a bunch in the food waste area. So, you know, Oddbox, Olio, Karma, Toast Ale, who make um, lovely beer out of bread that um, was otherwise going to go to the bin. Uh, Ruby's and the Rubble are a great condiments business. So um, vegan mayo and ketchup and that sort of stuff, um, all made from products that would um, otherwise uh, go to landfill. I think also, you know, businesses like Who Gives a Crap and Cheeky Panda, and Who Gives a Crap has, has really built a, a, a really great brand and a great product. They've really nailed it, I think, in terms of poking fun at the kind of product that they're um, supplying and, and actually getting... Uh, brand loyalty that I, I'm not sure people really thought you could have brand loyalty with toilet paper, but I think um, they've managed to build it. And so I, I think their journey has been pretty impressive. Well, it's a great name as well. I mean, it works on a lot of levels that does as well. And what, yeah. what's the, what's the, the headcount now of Too Good To Go roughly? In the UK, we're, we're at about 70 people. So, and that compares to about 35 pre-pandemic. So we've, we've managed to grow even during that time. Globally, when I joined, started last year, we were at about 400 or so people. We've now just ticked over 1,000. So we're, we're at 1,000 a, a people now globally across 16 countries. And how many people was it when it first set up, roughly? How, how many kind of people kind of turned the lights on? There was a collection of co-founders, um, many of whom are still you know, in, in the business. But when the UK was started, it was 
basically kind of two or three people, you know, going and, and signing up stores and, and that sort of thing. So I think when we, we first started, it was probably, uh, you know, about 25, 30 people globally uh, when it was first started about five or six years ago. And then the, the real sort of scaling has happened in the past sort of two to three years. So globally, you scale quite considerably. So the less people there are in the business, they probably, I'd imagine they might have felt more of an impact had by what they were doing. So as you've scaled, mm-hmm. how do you make sure people still feel like they're just as impactful? When, when you get to 10,000 people, how do you make sure that as well? Yeah, it, it, it is a real real struggle. You know, how do you scale culture is, is a really, really big thing. And, and I think the company values and making them really tangible is, is a big key to that. I think what's important to make sure that we point out to people is that the percentage of their impact might have decreased. You know, if you're one in 10 and then you're one in 100, you could say that, oh, well, my impact has gone down and, and reinforcing like, no, your impact hasn't gone down. It's just the percentage of your impact. And so then it's making sure that you then give them a sense of involvement in the success that they're not act- actively contributing to. So making sure that, you know, for instance, we we had a team celebration earlier this year because we rolled out to all the Costa sites uh, across the country, which, you know, I think we, we, we launched 850 sites or something on, on a single day, which was a pretty, pretty big effort. And, and it was a huge team effort. And we had a big celebration about that. And, you know, it was during lockdown. So we, you know, sent out some espresso martini kits and that sort of stuff to celebrate you know, Costa Coffee was a tenuous link to, to celebrating that, but um, uh, but people enjoyed it. And it wasn't just about the people who were hands-on on that. It was absolutely everyone and making sure that they feel part of that. And so it's that kind of feeling that actually, you know, a rising tide, you know, raises all boats and just that sense of actually like be proud of the successes, even if you can't see your own fingerprints on this, because you should feel really proud that we're all doing this together. Then I think, you know, it's important that you kind of take into account that kind of the growing distance between people in terms of management, in terms of hierarchy and that sort of thing, and making sure that you've got those, that, that transparency, that the kind of the openness, the good internal comms to ensure that people still feel connected to the, the people at the top, you know, um, making those decisions, hiring good people not just good workers, but actually decent human beings, I think is, is a big part of that. I do think though that there is a certain problem or challenge that is very real, which is where people feel like they're a smaller part of the puzzle where they have a loss of voice or a loss of empowerment. They can't change the organization like they used to because when they were one in 10, they could have an idea and, and get it off the ground pretty quickly. Whereas one in a hundred, you know, it, it's a lot harder to do. Unfortunately, some of those people won't stay with you the whole journey. And that's actually okay. Because, you know, as you scale, you have to make changes, you know, you'll change your tools and your systems, you know, even like we changed our CRM last year, because we're like, actually, it's no longer fit for purpose. It was when we were that size. Now we need a more sophisticated tool. Uh, Our CEO has has the saying of what got us here isn't going to get us there. And people will be suited to certain types of organizations. And that includes scale. And some people really love startups, where it's the kind of five to 20 people all rolling their sleeves up, all doing multiple roles, you know, sharing office management duties and all that sort of stuff because they just love getting stuck in. And that's the environment that they really thrive in. And if they don't suit the 1,000 person, 16 country organization and choose to leave, that doesn't actually mean that you've failed necessarily to retain that person. Actually, they were that with you at the part of the journey where they could make the most impact. And sometimes they actually just need to then go and find 
that next thing and and that's okay so it's you know whenever we're talk, talking about retention and churn which is a horrible word but that's the thing you always have kind of have to think about well there is a positive churn that exists you know people do reach a certain point where actually it suits them to to, to move on and then it's an opportunity to get some some fresh perspective in yeah absolutely i think you know and if you're talking about I think it's not, everything comes to an end at some point and people do tend to move on, certainly more now than ever. I mean, in tech data and digital average lifespan, most of the roles we recruit for typically is about two years, you know, whatever type mm. of business is, just, just kind of nature these days. We've got, we've got a question uh, from Dom Fletcher, which has come in on the chat. So I'll read this out. Uh, Dom has asked, I'd be interested to know what your main struggles are with ma- internally managing everyone in such a large business. Have you got a team around you helping out? And also, what activities have you been running remotely during the pandemic to keep everybody engaged? So yeah, it, it's a big team. So you know, I, I'm purely focused on the UK. Um, so there's there's an equivalent of me in all of our countries, and then we have a global team. So our chief people officer and head of people operations, and all, all these people are, are based in global. Uh, most of whom are in Copenhagen because we are a Danish founded and owned business. And then you know, it, it's then working in partnership with the country managers who, so that our country manager in the UK, who I report to, is very much a partnership there. So. There's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of support, and then each country has its own local management team, you know, looking after all, all the different functions in each team. So we try not to have a lot of hierarchy, but also it's really important to make sure that, you know, someone doesn't have so many people in their team that they can't give them enough attention. So you have to find that right balance. The approach that we really took was once we realized it was going to be a long game rather than a, a two-week stay at home was essentially kind of, you know, knowing that what worked then isn't going to work now, that we, we have to ad- adapt for it and really listen to the team. I mean, the, the one consistent thing in terms of keeping people engaged was actually just giving them space to talk and, and making it clear that it was okay if they weren't okay. It, you know, going back to that well-being side of things, you know, what we actually introduced was something called a, a care conversation, which we try to have every quarter now with, with every single person. So it was their manager and them. And it's a conversation just purely based on how they feel. How are they feeling in their role? How are they feeling in the team? What does a good day look like? What does a bad day look like? Is there any support that they need? Are they handling all, all, all their work? Do they need a new challenge? You know, and it's 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 where you can kind of put the to-do list away and everything and, and just focus on them. And, and sometimes it's sort of 10 minutes and they're like, yeah, I'm all good. And thanks for the opportunity to speak, but I've got nothing else to say. And sometimes it's an hour and it's pretty in-depth and it's just giving them that space to talk. Uh, in terms of activities, I mean, a year ago, we were focused on entertainment and keeping people positive and, and all that sort of fun and, you know, all the quizzes and all, all, all the games and all that sort of stuff. But this more recently in the last lockdown, if I'd invited my team to a quiz on Zoom, I think I think I would have had a, a mutiny on my hands because people are just a bit over it, to be honest. And so we we focused on well-being and we focused on you know both the mental side and the physical side of that. So what we did was we obviously had celebrations where we you know sent some some nice things to people to to kind of celebrate with and making sure that they could enjoy that, even though we can't, you know, we can't go to the pub and throw a card behind the bar. But I think what we did is we invested in some mental health training for all our managers, mental health skills. We actually have now four people in the UK who are essentially mental health first aiders, which is really powerful and really important at this time to know that there's someone that isn't necessarily your manager or in people and culture to go to and and have that confidential chat. We also did like uh, exercise classes. So we had, you know, yoga and all these different workouts so people could actually 
have that as a bit of a shared experience that wasn't work and it was just looking after themselves physically. We did a team step challenge. So getting your steps in, in winter and we tried to shift as many of our one-to-ones to phone calls as possible during that time so that people could do walk and talks. And it was a good way of reducing screen time, uh, which I think was pretty important during those long lockdown months where it was cold. So people weren't really you know going out that much. And so you were, you're basically glued to your laptop throughout the day and then probably sitting in front of your TV all evening. So any opportunity to, uh, to reduce that screen time was, was pretty good. We had an advantage because people were incredibly engaged in their work. I think it's difficult if you're trying to do activities to distract people from the fact that they're not hugely engaged in the work that they're doing day in, day out. That's a really serious challenge. Just on, on the entertainment point, I think uh, there's a million reasons why I'm looking forward to step four of the lockdown release, but I'm out of ideas. You know, I've, we've done virtual drinks, virtual yeah. uh, meals, virtual races, escape rooms, virtual workouts, everything. And I've actually set a target for the business now in May. If we hit targets, then we'll actually do something in real life at the end of June. So God forbid that doesn't happen and we end up staying locked down because I'm, I'm completely out of ideas. It's been a real yeah. struggle. Yeah, same. <laughs> Uh, we've got it's another question from Goldie. Goldie says, uh, related to the issue of employee voice, how do you get an action feedback from the staff on the direction of the organization in relation to its purpose? Yeah, good question. Um, we're actually um the beginning stages of getting some 360-degree feedback uh, processes happening. This is one of the changes that occurs is that when you're smaller, you can rely a little bit more of an ad hoc approach uh, in terms of uh, getting feedback from people. We've got a very open feedback culture anyway. It's somewhat based on the radical candor framework where we really want people to give feedback, including to management to leadership. But I think as you, as we get bigger, that becomes a little bit harder. Uh, and so we need to kind of put some, some anonymized feedback um, processes in place. And I think also, you know, for our town halls that we do, we have a global town hall every month and it used to be a thing that we would all dial into and it would be live. It's a little bit more difficult to do when everyone's, you know, working from home. Uh, so they're often kind of prepared you know, videos and everything and um, anyone can send in questions and they get answered in the town hall by, by our CEO. Uh, I think we're always looking for new ways to do it. For me personally, I have regular one-to-ones with every single people manager in the UK to check in on their team uh, and see who's feeling what essentially and who might need a little bit of um, support. And then I think what's also important is that to not shy away from those challenging voices if someone is asking the uncomfortable question, like go towards it, don't run away from it. Don't kind of say, oh, let's talk about this in a, in a, in a meeting room or let's, let's have a private one-to-one. It's like, no, air it out there. Like it's okay for, the, for there to be disagreements. And I think if people see those sorts of opinions being invited and welcomed and engaged with, then it means that people will feel like, oh, I can actually you know, raise my hand and ask that difficult question without fear of consequence. I've got a couple more for me. In terms of... Uh the responsibility of the CEOs and the founders mm. of businesses, what else can they do or what other responsibilities do they have to make sure that people really are on this journey of their people? Yeah. You, you mentioned your CEO kind of has new joiner meetings every month, which is, which is mm. spot on, I think, absolutely yeah. spot on. Well, what else is there? Well, I think you need, you need to survey your people. You need to make sure that there's a good exit interview process and all that sort of thing so that you're un- understanding what's happening. But I think culture is often seen as the social side of work. But to me, that side of things is just the fun afterglow of culture. To me, culture is very much about the relationship between a person, the organization, and their work. You know, in order to sort of truly understand those links of how is someone relating to the organization and how is someone relating to their work. To truly understand that for every person, including most junior, you need empathy. And so I think, you know, empathy at the top is absolutely everything. So ensuring that your CEO 
is really engaged with their empathy and genuinely curious about people and their feelings, I, I think is in, incredibly key. If you don't have that, that's a different challenge. And, and in all sincerity, I believe you need to make a change at the top because I think empathy is really the key to, to everything and it will guide you through the decisions that you need to make. And a final question for me, we've, we've covered so much here, uh, David, mm. there was lots of good advice and tangible takeaways. If you are a leader of business or a founder or CEO and you're looking around or maybe you're losing people, mm. um, you're not able to attract people and, and it's maybe because you don't have that authentic and true investment of your workforce on your mission, where should that person start if they want to change things to, for, the, for the positive? Well, I, th I think they need to be honest themselves and take the time to stop and, 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 and think about why does this organization exist in the first place and how does it make decisions and what is in consideration when decisions are made. Because I think, you know, when we talk about culture, when we talk about values, when we talk about mission, that's really what the tangible output is decisions. You decide to go left instead of right. And you, you make that decision based on your mission and, and, and your values and all those things. But it can feel very challenging to go from a blank piece of paper to those things. So it's more about, you know, thinking about, okay, when X person in my management team or whoever in the organization, when they make decisions, what do I want them to be thinking about? And if you start there, then it can kind of feel quite simple and tangible. Fantastic. And we've got one final question that's come through for the chat. Yes, Owen's asked this. Is there an easy way of measuring empathy at a senior level like CEO? I guess there probably isn't an easy way. So I suppose the question probably, what is how they do it? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how you how you really measure empathy anyway, to, to be honest. And I, I say that as someone who put empathy on my CV in terms of describing what I do. And that was what, one of the reasons that, that I progressed in my application. It's too good to go. Um, so uh, I'm sorry, Owen, I don't have a great answer for you about how to measure empathy. But I, I think that the key thing with empathy is you know it when you see it and you, you know its outputs and you certainly know it when it's not there. The real question to, to ask is, does this person listen? Do they truly listen? If they don't, then it's probably a pretty good sign that there's an empathy gap there. Cool. So that's been it. We're coming up to two o'clock. So, um, David, thank you so much for your time today. If anyone wants to follow up with you after this for a chat, even if you're listening on the podcast as well, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? LinkedIn is probably the, probably the best way. Uh, I'm easily findable. There's not many palaces in the world. So um, uh, as long as you spell it right, then um, uh, you, you should find me pretty easily. And I'm yeah, more than happy to connect with people. There you go. The one and only David Palliser. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Uh, next week, we're going to be back to mental well-being and mental wellness. We're going to be looking at how a business can set up a wellness committee in your company. Um, it's obviously a completely relevant topic. So please tune in for that. Apart from that, thanks again, David. Thanks to the audience. And uh, I'll see you all next week. Thanks, Paul.